We're back together, sort of back together, but in terms of being socially distanced, we are currently very socially distanced. I know, but it feels so close. Does it? Does it? (laughs) Yes, we will be together. We will be together soon enough. It will happen, people. Because it's Miami and we're both working on Miami for different people. And we've managed to find a little bit of time just before the ATP draws, because the women started yesterday. So just before the ATP main draw matches start to sit down I just have a little bit of a catch-up and a bit of a look-ahead. Yes, I know. It's all action, isn't it? First Masters event of the year, starting to get into the schedule sort of normally, because we obviously had the Australian bubble at the beginning, so it was all very, very different, all new tournaments. And now we've had players in Dubai, and now they're in Miami. Some people aren't in Miami. So, yeah, lots of lots of talking points. It sort of feels normal, and it doesn't. I don't know if it just feels normal because... I've come to work, a familiar place. You, do, you see what I mean? It's still a lot of things are not normal in this world. We talked recently about, for me, the first thing was when schools went back and it felt a little bit more normal. But I think now coming in here and seeing everybody with you know, masks and socially distanced, but there's, there's a feeling of normality about it. And then when you look at Miami, you realise we're still not there yet in the sense this would be the second part of the Sunshine Double. We don't have Indian Wells. The field, especially on the men's side, is is depleted too strong a word to use? Is that disrespecting everybody else in the draw? Or is that fair to say? I think it's fair. I mean, you've got to be realistic. We were talking last week about how this is a great opportunity, with the exception. You reminded me that, of course, Djokovic is in there. He's not in there anymore. I've lost another big name. Maybe not a threat to the title just yet, just because of phys- physical issues. But with Andy Murray, he's gone as well um so yeah wide open I think you you've got to be feeling pretty good about your boy Rublev here I have tipped him because we do our predictions competition and we have one player what is it one player in one to eight and then one nine to 16 or something and someone from the rest of the field so I've I've gone Rublev Dimitrov Karatsev okay it's all right How many Karatsevs do you think they'll be picked? (laughs) I think there's going to be a lot of Karatsevs because Karatsev cannot do any wrong. And we actually had a tweet from a listener, Broncomaniac, who said, when are you going to talk about Aslan Karatsev? Why haven't you? So I wrote back, slightly tongue in cheek, oh, we'll chat about him when he wins Dubai. Yeah. (laughs) And then he won Dubai. (laughs) It seems like he's sticking around. I mean, what an effort that was. On On a kind of, I don't know if this is a bit deep now, but... How does how does that happen to a player? How does a player sit at a ranking for so long and then suddenly... So if we just go back as far as the August 23rd last year, he was 253 in the world. By September, he was 116. February 22nd, he was 42, and now he's 27. How does that... How can that suddenly happen in a player? And does it give all the other players around that ranking hope or is this just a one-off? I think it definitely gives everybody hope. Really, the thing is, is that you know I've spent years being asked you know, who's the next person to make it, and 
and, and me just trying to work it out myself because I'm trying to you know, pay attention to these players who are, are sitting on, on the verge of coming through. And you've got the obvious ones, you know, the next gen guys, you know, Sean Tech was always going to do brilliantly well, even from juniors. She won junior Wimbledon, you know, pretty comfortably. So you you have the obvious ones, but then there are some that, that do really surprise you. And I think I've just learned over the years that you just can never tell because people can change and it's about having the ability and for me I don't think there's a single player ranked between 100 and 200 who does not have the ability to be a top 50 player and when I'm saying ability I'm talking about the skill level the forehands backhands serves you just you technically they could do it there's nothing you're not watching them going well they need to learn how to hit a forehand I mean actually Plenty of them do need to learn how to hit a forehand. But there are plenty of people ranked highly that don't have great forehands as well. Um, and it's the same for, for the men and the women. And I think that it's just about uh, the mentality. I think it's a combination of the maturity that we always talk about. And hey, people can mature at whatever age they decide to. Um, you know, we look at British player Dan Evans um, and how his career has gone. He just now looks like just a world class player, but he was down there for a long time. Everyone knew he had the ability because he's ridiculous with his hand skills, but he just couldn't get it out consistently enough. Um, and for Karatsev, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't want to guess because he's not but... young, is he? He's twenty-seven. No. He's not one of these next geners, and suddenly everything's click. This is a guy who's been toiling away at the lower levels of tennis for a long, long time. Suddenly, semi-final of the Australian Open, he then wins a doubles title with Andre Rublev, and now he's won Dubai. Yeah, and uh, ATP Cup as well. He was on the Russian team, the victorious Russian team with Medvedev and Rublev. Um, so, yeah, I think it could be a combination of, it could be maturity, um, but also there's an element of figuring out the levels. And now I'm not 100% sure there's a way to figure out the the tour level as opposed to the challenge level, but it is quite different. And I say I'm not 100% sure because I never did it. So <laughs> if there was some sort of secret recipe or password, I, I didn't have it. Um, <laughs> but it is sort of the case all along the way that, um, you know, especially working with talented players that have so much potential and so much to offer, you often see them go into a level struggle for maybe one or two tournaments and then work it out and then they're they, they almost go okay I get it now they lose first round second round and then they're off and these and I say these are players who are capable that you know that you've seen them play at the level that is just good enough you know they can win these matches but they're just not doing it um and, and I don't know and, that, and that's why we talk a lot about getting stuck you know people get stuck I got stuck at rankings and there are these really obvious sticking points that everybody gets stuck at and in and around 150 I mean pretty much 120 to 180 is a sticking point I mean that's all sort of the same ranking really Um, that is a level that is a, a place where a lot of players get stuck and I don't think any of them don't have the ability to push on it's just about figuring it out maybe increasing commitment, maybe increasing maturity, and then just being able to produce it match after match after match. And whether it clicks over time and you sort of chip away and you get there, say, I would say somebody like an Aliash Bedene, and I'm bringing him up because I know his journey fairly well with my brother having coached him, but he sort of chipped away and then he got a little bit stuck in that zone, sort of 60 to 90, where you're sort of a 
winning challenges and maybe winning matches on the tour, but you can't quite transfer to the tour events. But now he's sitting sort of around, he's, he's comfortably a tour player. He doesn't need to play any challenges anymore as long as he's healthy, sort of playing at 50, 60. You know, he's just solid. He's winning matches every single week. He's worked it out. Um, it took him a long while, a long time to chip away at it. Maybe Karatsev just sort of, I don't know, maybe he had a dream and the penny dropped, but... I think there is that element to it as well. You can, sometimes you do go, oh, I get it. You have that match and then everything's different after that. And I think that does happen at levels. Uh, and I, I can't see any reason why that doesn't happen at the top. You must, maybe this sounds a very obvious thing, this obvious thing to say, but you must need to love the sport because yes. you've been at it for years. You've been traveling around, trying to make ends meet. You must really enjoy it to be still doing it. And then, as you say, I remember with um, Nicholas Baslashvili, it was it was the right time. He changed coach. He, he said it was the right time for him to start listening. And suddenly he wanted to take things in and wanted to make the changes. And again, we're not talking about a spring chicken. Then he wins a couple of 500s of them. Most recently won Doha after there is a lot going on for him off court. But... He recently won a title. And I guess you've got to be open to change. And Karatsev, I think we're still trying to figure out the story of Karatsev because he's he wonderfully, during Australia, when people were trying to get the insight, saying, well, what did you what did you do when you went for that toilet break? You know, what happened during that toilet break? And he's like, I went for a wee. <laughs> and I, everyone in the room was like... Yes, you did. And he just he just couldn't believe because he's not used to sitting in press conferences. Sure. He's not used to this kind of attention. He went to the toilet and everyone was trying to, what changed for you when you left the court? And he said, I just needed the toilet. So I think we're trying to piece together his story. And we know there was a change in coach and he actually moved country to work with a new coach. But it's just, it's just phenomenal. And and I imagine if you were a player in and around where he was at 253, it does give you hope, but you don't see it very often. As much hope as his story can give you, we're not going to see it an awful lot, are we? I mean, this rise into the top 30. I don't think so. Not, not at that age, potentially. I mean, we do see it sort of here and there. But I think that the hope is that it's just about working it out really and I think that look he's a smart guy clearly and he had been at that sort of ranking for a long time he would have known what was he needed to do for a long time but it is about that timing like you say I mean we see a lot of players hire a coach it doesn't work out past the trial and go and sometimes that's just because they're not in the right headspace to take on information and actually what they're looking for is more support and then at other times, they're really looking for information, strategy, tactics, technical work. That's what they're they're present for. And they don't need the support so much. So it's, um, you know, it, it, it's so much about timing. And you get those really good fits where somebody's saying the things that you need to hear and you're ready to hear them right then. It's a wonderful story. And now with the ranking, look, we thought it was pretty good when he got to 42 in the world. He's now 27 and it changes everything. It changes his future because he knows he can plan as much as anyone can plan anything in the world as it is at the moment. He can get into the biggest tournaments. He can actually have a proper plan rather than looking, can I make that? How do I get there? How do I work that? He can sit down with his team and actually as far as anyone can in 2021, make a schedule plan for the rest of the year. 
He can. And that makes a huge, huge difference. I wonder whether having the, the young guys coming through was any sort of had any impact on him because he would have known them or seen them since they were just kids, just tiny. Right. And I don't know whether he would have played against them or anything, but um, I'm sure he would have seen them training at like the national center or wherever they train and would have been following their rise. And look, the least surprised people about Karatsev doing well was Medvedev, Rublev, his teammates. They were kind of like, yeah, I know he's really good. I mean, I think they were very pleased and impressed by what he was doing. But they were just sort of like, yeah, we played ATP Cup together. Why do you think he was on the team? <laughs> um, but whereas everyone else was like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> so I think Aslan was probably more surprised <laughs> than they were. Um, but yeah, I think it's uh, it's, oh, it's just such a fantastic story. And I'm really pleased because, as you say, to to work that hard, to sit at the challenger level and be successful at the challenger level. He was a very, very good and successful challenger player. And then he just started stringing those tournaments together last year. And we think, okay. And you know, does that thing that we see often with younger players, granted, but does that thing where he's kind of going back to back to back challengers, going deep, 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 and then ATP Cup and then bang, Australian Open, Dubai. And now who knows? You know, this is the first time since Paris-Bercy in 2004 where there's been no Federer, Nadal or Djokovic in a Masters draw. Wow. That's 138 Masters ago when it last happened. Oh, man. <laughs> Do you know what? Crazy. Do you know who I immediately feel bad for? Is the players that have sat just behind them for all of those tournaments who are now not here. I'm t- talking David Ferrer. He's got to be thinking, <laughs> what is going on here? I'm saying Juan Martín del Potro. I mean, the guy's only won one Masters event. How is that possible? <laughs> you know, all of these players, I just, yeah, I really feel, I mean, Burdick, poor Burdick. He can- <laughs> He could have won this tournament and they're all not playing. I don't feel too sorry for Thomas Burdick. I see lots of Instagram posts in Monte Carlo, lovely dinners, lovely wine. I think Thomas Burdick's okay. I'm sure he's fine, but he could have racked up some Masters titles if these guys weren't playing. If they could have just held on a little bit longer. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't think of too many others, but they're the ones that sort of really do spring to mind of, of players that were just knocking on the door, knocking on the door. And basically their careers have essentially spanned the same length of time of the career. Like, you know, it's not somebody like a Roddick was a bit before that as well. So, I mean, I know that he got thwarted a number of times in his attempts to win Wimbledon to to pick out the most obvious one. But, you know, he had Federer to deal with a lot, but you know, he was just a little bit earlier. But yeah, those guys, yeah, they had a tough era, didn't they? But I mean, phenomenal players. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline about this and touched on it a little bit last week but I, I kind of get well why a number of players have decided not to be here just because Miami is a standalone tournament with everything that's going on as you're about to head on to the clay is difficult with a number of those players based 
in Europe and now getting ready for the clay. Was I? Were you surprised when Djokovic pulled out or not, having just said all that? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've been chatting to a couple of people who've been out there playing in, in qualifying and they're, they're saying that the, the bubble is very strict, but I don't think that was a surprise and ultimately look these these touring professionals I, mean, I say it I think I say it every week at the, at the moment but to be on the tour is relentless it is hard it is full-on you are constantly traveling jet-lagged in hotels the works but on top of that to just be constantly in bubble life I was chatting to one player who's been on the road since um well since the Australia swing hasn't been homes and it's just been bubble to bubble to bubble to bubble I mean she's just going crazy in in that sense um and it's really difficult um she's still playing well and doing well but it's just it's it's taking its toll and she was saying it's taking her its toll on her coach and and trainer as well like it it's it's really really I mean it would have been hard to do that stint anyway it would be hard to do that block just in normal times but I mean just to be hotel courts hotel courts and you know, the bubble in Miami, rightly so, very strict. As you say, it doesn't help that it's a standalone event. If you could sort of wrap it all into to one, that, that that makes a difference. But yeah, I mean, they're going to be they're going to be choosy, aren't they? When they're right at the top of the game and you can understand that. I mean, it's a big blow for the event to have lost all of those guys. I mean, if you could have just kept Djokovic, that would have been would have been huge or, or even a, even a Murray I mean I, I wouldn't have expected him to go all the way to the to the final but that would be big as well so but step forward the women because the women's tournament looks fantastic really looks really strong um really excited about it and yeah I mean when it comes to Indian Wells Miami these joint masters events the, you know the women are absolutely the ones to watch it's one of these lopsided times though because I'm working for ATP tennis radio Therefore, I'm working on the ATP. So all my focus is on the men's. And it, it's quite, it becomes very lopsided because you've got these incredible matches on both sides that start to happen. But I'm just I'm wanting one to finish so I can get on with the next one. So you feel you miss almost one side of the tournament because your focus is very much on the other. Yeah, there's too much going on. I mean, we, mi- we miss so much when we're working in tennis because you're so absorbed in one match. You can't bounce around. You're not really even checking scores. And it's the same first couple of days of Grand Slams when there's so many things going on. You just you just totally miss it because you get absorbed, especially if you've got a great match. You just get totally absorbed in what you're doing and you just sort of forget that there are, there's other stuff going on. And then when you walk off, you go, oh, this person lost, that person lost. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, more of a men's focus uh, for both of us, I think, uh, through this tournament. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, I think the women's tournament is going to be great. I mean, there's some players playing really, yeah, really well. It's, and, and we're getting them all together. And they've had a little bit of time since Australia because some, like Ash Barty, hadn't played hardly any tennis leading up to the, the build-up and then the Australian Open. Bianca Andreescu is been injured Seshi's feeling good right now which is fantastic Petra Kvitova since won a title Naomi Osaka we haven't seen her since she won Australia we don't have Serena Williams and and Venus Williams not that I'm saying Venus was going to challenge for the title but she sadly lost in in round one but the the strength in depth in the women's game at the moment is incredible and I just think we're all really excited to see how this is all going to shake down in terms of is Osaka going to run away with it there's Muguruza I mean look at the form she's been in lately so and what's Ash Barty going to do now she's coming to America from Australia and I, I think it's it's really intriguing to see how it's all going to shake down 
Oh, I think so. Really, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm really fascinated to see Andreescu. I think it's so easy to forget about her because, well, she barely plays. Um, but, you know, fingers crossed she can be fit and healthy. I only think, I think she'll only need a run of maybe win some multiple matches in maybe three tournaments. And I think she'll be back at her best. She's, we saw before, she's very good at not playing for some time and just turning up and winning matches. That sort of Federer thing, Serena thing. It's, I mean, Osaka as well. Um, It's something that not everybody has, not every great has, but it's just something that, that some players do have and she's absolutely got it. I mean, I know she's been away for a long time. She did, of course, play in Australia, but you know, she was looking fairly good as a start. I reckon, yeah, she'll, she's, she's one of those, she works it out. She just figures out how to, how to play at the levels. Saw on social media, I'm pretty sure I saw this, where one of the people in the press conference of Andreescu thought she was Benchich. Yeah, they called think? her Belinda. And, and started asking about her relationship with Roger Federer. <laughs> and yeah. said, how close are you? Do you know his parents? Do you hang out a lot? And Andreescu was like, well, I think we may have taken a photo when I was a junior and I've always looked up to him. And you're kind of sitting there thinking, no, please, no. please know your players. I mean, please. <laughs> it's just, I mean, oh, that was, yeah, that was a little bit. Uh, but look, I, I'm glad we've got tennis. I can't wait for it to get started. Did you see the quotes that uh, Novak Djokovic's father recently made? No, I didn't. Oh. Now, as as a parent, you're now parents, you know, you our our children are the apples of our eyes and we think they're amazing and they're the best and they're wonderful. Um I'm assuming that goes for every parent. Um <laughs> you're looking very much at me there. Novak Djokovic. Know, he's going to boarding school in a couple of years. Oh wow, okay. Mm-hmm. Um Novak Djokovic's father uh quoted Riti saying he is already the goat and that's fair enough. You know, it's it's your child and he's very good in that. Oh, hang on a minute, I think that might be fair enough. Yeah, fair no, enough. No, I think that's... I think anybody's got an argument to say that. You don't have to be his dad. But that's the beginning. That's the beginning. Okay, right, so sorry. Sorry, that, carry on. That's I understand, you know, I probably say that about my children. Yeah, they're yeah, great. This year he will win the Olympic gold medal, quite possibly. I mean sure. again, quite possibly. And some more major titles. Again, yep. quite possibly, wherever they Everything in tennis depends on him. Right. Okay. Now this is, you know, Mm -hmm. he can lose, but not because his opponent outplayed him, but because he allowed his opponent to beat him. I think, I think it started well. It started well. Hang on a minute. I think it tailed off a little bit. Well, I don't know. I I think you're going to be surprised at my answer. Okay. I kind of agree with him. Everything in tennis depends on him is the quote. I didn't know. No, no. The second bit right. of that he will only lose if he's not playing well and he allows his opponent to beat him, then that is, I, I 100% agree on hard court and probably on grass as well. I think it's only on Philip Chatrier against Nadal. <laughs> it's very specific where it's not the case. <laughs> but I think genuinely, yeah. Um, possibly we've seen glimpses in best of three. I, I think we've seen a couple of victories over him that he was not in control of. I'm thinking of a Kyrgios match. I'm thinking yeah, of a Medvedev yeah. match in yeah. Shanghai. I think it was. Um, yeah, I think there are there, there's elements, but I think in general, sure. I'm not. I'm not going to fight him on that. I'm just going to give you one more sentence. Um, Novak is an invisible miracle. He was sent by God to show that Serbs are not murderers or savages. The entire world knows that he is the goat. 
Well, it's a lot. There's a lot packed. There's <laughs> packed into that. Yeah. You don't have to pull that one to pieces, but there's a, there's a lot. But again, as a parent, you're going to stand up and look. He's the parent of someone who has achieved so much. Might well go down as as the goat, and all the rackets have been laid down. And we've again, it depends what people put into that argument of who is the goat. But there's a as a parent, there's part of me as a parent that can see that, but there's another part of me that would want to be maybe a little bit more humble. You know, sure, and I, 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 I do get what you mean, but I, I, don't, I don't know. I can't believe I, I'm, I'm so staunchly defending him on this, but I think that it, if you give the context in that he is never held in the same regard as Federer and Nadal, and Federer is always talked about as the goat, and you know, I think. If you're his dad, you would feel bad because he has been shut down an awful lot. And there are a lot of reasons for that. But I think absolutely you'd be saying, hang on a minute, this guy, this is what he's doing for the sport. And I'm sure, you know, Federer's parents will be much more humble about it, even though they may think the same. But everybody know everybody already has agreed that Federer is the goat it's only now that maybe it's sort of more up for discussion so I think it's just more a defensive thing if you give a little bit yeah, of context yeah. about what the attitude and the talk around it has been I would be thinking yeah I'd be saying oi come on get a grip guys this guy is easily going to be the best he's younger than them he's going to be well not so much younger than Nadal but he's going to be going so much longer you'll see He's smashing it. He'll be the best thing that's ever happened in tennis. Yeah, and he did. There was another line when he said, I don't understand why he is not as popular as Nadal and Federer. Um, Andy Murray, ridiculously frustrating for Andy Murray. He catches COVID just before he's about to get on a flight to join the Australian Open bubble. And now in his sleep, he felt the groin. He's still, as we recall this, to have tests and know how serious, if it's serious at all, it is. But he just wants to play tennis. And he said... I just want to play. I want to test myself against these guys. I'm doing everything I can. I just want to play tennis. Yeah, body doesn't though, does it? That's the trouble. Um, it's been through an awful lot over the years. Um, very, very frustrating for him. And you know, I hope that he can sort of get that good run going again. Because you know, I was talking about Andrescu. I mean, it's a slightly different situation for Murray, but you know, he's. We've seen he's very quickly back to a really, really good level. We know the level's there. He's just got to be able to get it out on the court and it's his body that's just letting him down at the moment. But hopefully this is fairly precautionary because he does need to be more careful than he used to be. But he's maybe paying the price for not being as careful as he should have been before and fighting through. And it's it's always a really hard balance for players because you want to be really I mean you think that you want to be tough you want to run through walls you want to do all of that stuff but actually the most professional thing you can do is be really aware of your body and understand when it needs to rest and it's really difficult if you're having a good run in a tournament and you think well I'll just keep going like we saw with Djokovic at the Australian Open make that tear worse now sometimes it's worth it like winning the Australian Open and for Andy I think he would probably say that his run to number one in the world was probably worth it because he got to number one in the world in some sort of epic fashion, just winning every single tournament week after week after week. And he did pay the price for it, but he was number one in the world and he achieved such a, a huge goal. So I, I don't think he would I th- wish that he had done anything different because that was really what affected his hip more 
than anything because he was already struggling with it from that French Open match. I think it was against Vavrinka at, at Roland Garros. Uh, so all the way back in May and then went on this big run. I think, I think I've got my years right. <laughs> Something like that. Anyway, he played a lot of tennis. <laughs> And his hips, his hip was ruined. But you know, it, it can be really difficult, especially when you're young, to hold players back. You can have coaches, physios, parents, everybody saying, "No, no, no, just wait, just wait, just have a rest. Don't play this tournament." But it's almost impossible to get players. I mean, they're trained. They're just trained to run through walls. They're trained to deal with pain. They're trained to say, "Oh, it's just a niggle. Carry on." That's what they're there to do. That's why they're so successful. So to manage that is almost impossible. But you know, for Andy. We just fingers crossed. We just fingers crossed he comes back. Hey, he may just make some triumphant return later in the year and win Wimbledon or something. But I would imagine that if it's a groin problem, then clay's presumably not the best surface for us to be venturing onto after Miami. No, because you've got the opportunity to slip and tweak that groin. Um, that's not ideal. Uh, but with sliding around on the hard court, I mean, look, Tennis players' groins take an absolute battering. They take a huge amount of abuse. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just how it is. I mean, you look at the movements that play, players are making. We move laterally the vast majority of the time. We don't move forwards and backwards that much. Um, so the groin is under some serious stress. Uh, but there is just that added element on the clay of the sliding, changing direction, and it's just the slipping. You're more, you will slip a lot in matches. We see it all the time. Uh, and that could just maybe um, be a bit of a tweak. But you could slip on a slightly slick grass court and that could do your groin. It. I wouldn't say, oh, I don't think we're going to see him on the clay if he's got a groin problem. I would just say that, um, he's going to be careful. I haven't even asked you, who do you have winning Miami? I haven't done it yet. <laughs> well, do, we're We've do got it. a couple of hours we, until no, we're play. Gonna, we're going to do it. <clears throat> we're going to do it now. I'm not going to hold you to it. But oh, at, at this stage, who um, is gonna, who's going to win? So I've gone, yeah, Rublev, Dimitrov and Karatsev in terms of our sort of the, okay, well, I'll need to have a look at the lists for the the, the second two sections. Yeah, but who's I don't your, have them to hand. Who's your main one? If if I said, right, give me a winner now for Miami. This might look silly in a couple of days when your player loses in the first round. But how often does that happen? Yeah, lots it with happens. me. Lots with me. Lots with you? Yeah. I think it happens lots with me. I think it happens more with me. I had a, I had a really bad year. Well, I suppose everyone did last year. We didn't play a lot. Maybe it was the year before. I was often coming bottom of the predictions. <laughs> right. Because I think with my heart more than my head. Whereas mm. some people actually dissect the draw, look at matchups, past head-to-heads. I just go... Fill it all oh, in. I just go, yeah, that's, that's one of my favourite players. Oh, I like them. Oh, great. Yes. And that's, that's why I, I don't and I should never bet or gamble or anything because I don't, I don't think it through properly. I want to say, well, no surprises for this, uh, Medvedev. Yeah. But I'm kind of um, like the look of Sitsipas, Verev. <laughs> Who else is in the tournament? I Shapovalov. Think, you know, on the Sitsipas, <laughs> I was looking at his record in finals. So he won mm. the ATP Tour Finals, the biggest title of his career. He's won four. He's four and zero at two fifty level, but he's now zero and six at five hundred level and zero and two at a thousand level. Yeah, but is he just always the second best player in the tournament, or does he have an issue in finals? What do you think? 
I don't think he has an issue in finals. I don't know. Maybe he has an issue with getting fatigued by the end of the tournament. I mean, there are so many reasons for it. It could just it could be mental pressure. Um, it could just be one match too far. I, I, I don't know. Maybe he prepares for it in the wrong way. I'm, I'm not sure. I wouldn't be super concerned. Uh, all the Sitspass fans out there, and I know there are plenty. Um, no, I would. Yeah, I wouldn't be super concerned. I think. Yeah, maybe he's just the second best player a lot of the time. I think. Zverev's win in Acapulco is big for his tennis. I know there's still stuff going on off court, including he became a father recently uh, for the first time. So congratulations on that. But it was his first Masters win since 2018. Yes. I believe it was. So you feel, and in that time, other players have come up and gone past him. Other younger players have come up and gone past him because initially he was the leading light of this of this new generation, and then he just slipped back a little bit. You feel with his brother Misha, who's already in the main draw, he qualified. Also, his coach, he's he's back in the bosom of his family, which fundamentally is where he feels the best and where it seems he feels the most secure. It's reflecting in his tennis, and I I don't know. I just feel that Acapulco win could be quite significant in terms of his tennis on the court I think it was a big week for him really big week I think he played well we've got to remember what he's achieved and the age that he's achieved it and you know yes he's had some difficulties it seems like for Zverev that his off-court stuff has really affected his on-court stuff and look he's not the only one but he's had plenty of it and you know whether that's dealing with his agent which we've seen at a lot of uh, in recent years and he has sort of struggled a little bit but he's maintained his position right up at the top of the game he just maybe hasn't quite pushed on in the way that people would have hoped but he's made his first Grand Slam final he keeps banging on about how he should be ranked higher because he's not moving up the rankings because of the way the ranking system is and yeah I mean to be honest when I was thinking about picking my winner he was the first name that jumped into my head because I just feel like he's kind of back feeling confident. But I don't know. I went Medvedev. I don't know. Maybe because I want Medvedev to win I it. Just, I'm not sure. I think with Zverev, for me, I just, it's the reliability. I think, again, with me, I go sort of heart over head. And I've gone with Rublev. And, I, and I'm a really big fan of Medvedev as well. But Zverev, I just don't know if I can trust him on a tennis court. Do you see what I mean? Sure. Oh, absolutely. Oh, come, come on. He's totally up and down. We, we, we've seen that. I mean, his, his best tennis has been absolutely phenomenal. I said, look, I've just been talking about how he's maintained his position at the top of the game. But we're talking about within that, he can be quite up and down. And of course, the second serves that he's had issues with really show the vulnerability. And I think that's the thing. It, it's that that shows it. And it's the fact that on every tight point, still years after being at the top of the game, knowing that it doesn't work, on every tight point, he retreats, he runs back. And it's just a habit. It's a comfort. He can't do anything about it, clearly, because he'll spend the whole match stepping up and dominating. And then as soon as it gets to a tight moment, a tie break or something, he then falls way, way, way back. And he's scrambling around. And okay, he might get away with it occasionally, but that's not going to cut it against Djokovic. It's not going to cut it right at the top of the game. So that has been a big part as to why he sort of stalled as well. Um, So I do think that those two things, they sort of, it's not like just missing forehands, is it? It's like those two things really show the nerves and the anxiety that he has because second serves, look, Every player of that level can put a serve in the box. They can. But sometimes he just can't. He he just can't. And then 
the same with running backwards. Everybody knows that him moving forwards is more successful. He knows that, but he just can't. So I think maybe it's those sort of alarm bells that make it, make you feel less confident in him. Now, something that I don't know anything about is TikTok. I don't think I'll ever understand. And I'll never do it. Were you talking about a player that's been TikToking? Oh, yes. Well, uh, Daria Gavrilova has been right. doing some TikToks and then putting them on Instagrams and stuff. And uh, it's gone down quite well with the, some of the players. So what's she, what's, <laughs> what's she been doing? So she did a, a video uh, which was sort of like her doing an impression of that one girl in the tournament who has the draw and is like telling everybody who they're playing and then it was just quite funny because it it is just there's always somebody at each event who's got the draw nowadays on the phone but when I was playing it was a piece of paper they'd be waving (laughs) it around in the locker room being like I've got I've got the do you want to know who you play do you want to know who you play and they just get like so excited to see your reaction especially when they know you've got a rubbish draw they'll be coming do you want to know do you want to know do you want to know and you're just you're like well, you might as well tell me because I'm going to have to find out at some point. Um, and yeah, and then and then she did this little bit where the player was saying, oh, you've got the second seed. But don't worry, she's not playing very well. Um, you know, that's a good draw. That's a good draw. And then would be saying, oh, me? Oh, I'm I'm playing a lucky loser. But she's playing great. Have you seen her? She's oh, This is a really tough draw. You know, that sort of thing. And, and it's amazing because there just is that sort of player at every single tournament. I just thought it was very funny. So it's very, it's very relatable. Yeah, it is. And it just sort of, it was a little snapshot, I think, even though it was done in tongue in cheek, but it was a, a snapshot of what goes on behind the scenes in tournaments because you do you have somebody who I think in general players are always asking who are you playing who are you playing as soon as they've seen that you've you've won they'll see you walk in they'll say oh good job who have you got next like it's just it's always it's just sort of um a topic of conversation even for most players they're not that interested (laughs) they don't really care but um but for some players it's sort of I don't know it's kind of like the gossip even though it's not really gossip, well, it's really dull. You always get someone that wants to be the first person. To, it's a little bit like on, on social media when there's breaking news or you hear something. They want to be the first person that puts it on social media that, I don't know, Andy Murray's out or something. You know what I mean? Something's happened. It's a bit like that, isn't it? It's it's yeah. not gossip, but they want to be that person saying, hey, do you know who's got who or something like that? Yeah, and exactly. And they want to see the reactions. That's the thing. They, they want to. Did you ever? I can't imagine you ever reacted. Uh, I, can't, I just oh yeah definitely really because I don't yeah. I'm trying to think of reactions I get from you now like if I told you something Do you know I think I would react if you get drawn against somebody again it's if you've played them last week or a couple of weeks before especially if you've lost every time well, you get you... drawn against them again and you're like Phew. do you see that clip of Martin Fucevic when he lost well, to Rublev quite. again and as he walked off court obviously tongue-in-cheek was like I don't want to play you again. Like that. Well, yeah. And then I think... Him they, and everyone else. But I think they might face each other in like the second or third round. I think it's one of those things that everyone was looking <laughs> at, at the matchups. And you could just... It was just brilliant the way he said it. And again, he didn't... He's got nothing against Rublev apart from the defeats. But as he... Just that little look to the side. He's like, I just don't want to face you again. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's just too hard. I but know. there are... Still, yeah. Yeah. If it's someone I guess you've got a really bad record about against, then that would be... Uh, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm trying to think when I've got the most reaction out of you when I've said something. Maybe I just don't say anything interesting enough. 
done it. <laughs> That's not the case. Is that, no. Is that yeah, I think possibly I'm just a bit meh. I think one person, and I know we both got to go soon to get started on, on our respective matches today. I think I'm yes. on the first match, so I've got to get set for that. Is I don't know if you've read it, a friend and colleague of ours, Reem Abalel, did a really great piece because she was recently back at the Dubai tournament. Now, she's been working remotely since the pandemic kicked in. And it's a really great piece on the differences, the changes, how life has been and what it was like there. Just really, whether you work in media, whether you're a tennis player, whether you just love tennis, it's just a really interesting insight for someone who's been doing the job remotely because you can't go on site. And then suddenly you're on site, but it's completely different because loads of people aren't on site. So it's uh, it's it's a strange old year. You know, we still don't know how things are going to pan out who's going to be where. There's talk of Wimbledon this week saying, as things stand, it's bubble life. Players will go mm. from hotels to the site and that's it. And a lot of players, you know, Denis Shapovalov among them, I'm not sure I can do this. I don't enjoy it. Gilles Simon, I'm not going to be back playing until things ease because I can't do this. Even a tournament as iconic as Wimbledon, you know, how if things are still as they are now and that is how things are how's that going to affect things so it's uh yeah if, if people yeah it's a really interesting piece i think just to get a feel while there's little bits of normality creeping back into our lives things are still in many ways far from normal yeah quite it was a really good read that i very much enjoyed it and i, I second that definitely direct people in that direction there'll be no queue at wimbledon i think that's the biggest news i know that's gonna be devastating that's gonna be weird that's just a that's a part of it that's gosh do you think that will ever return oh god I, I hope mean, so, because to be honest, when we look at it, it really shouldn't have been happening over the past 30 years. I don't know how they've managed it with all the health and safety stuff in this country, how they've managed to go, yeah, they'll just camp on the golf course. It's fine. What, yeah, would you, would you, fine. you yeah. Can you imagine the police being like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> you can't it's, do it's that. Very, it's very civilised. It's, it's fine. Everyone's just going to... And, and it is very civilised. It yeah. is the most... Because... The Brits are good at... So I was because, asked a question. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, because ultimately they are asking people to queue for something overnight, and sometimes for days. It's, it's just such a ridiculous... You, you could never do that anywhere. Like you could never start that and, and say, do you know what, at my event, people are going to start queuing days and days before. It's just not... No, no. Well, I was asked I a question the other day in the middle of a debate I was doing. And we were talking about Megan Rapinoe and Billie Jean King and and how great they are for how they've crossed over from their sports and how they advocate for so many great causes, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things was, why are there maybe not as many voices like that, say, from the UK or from outside of America? Because you can also put Serena Williams in there, et cetera. And I was was thinking about this and I was thinking of how to answer. And the only thing I could think of from a UK point of view, and that's all I can speak from because that's where I live, is... That we're just too polite. We like queuing. (laughs) Like I've I've queued for school shoes for hours. This was pre-pandemic. That the line down from the shoe shop, we all just stand there very politely and gale force winds to buy children's school shoes. I think we're just too polite. We like queuing. I think we are. And I'm going to have to politely, very (laughs) oh so politely, run because I've got matches to do. Well, um, oh, and quickly then, your women's winners. So you've gone Medvedev. I've gone Rublev for the women. Let's round this up. Oh, God, I'm going to be dull, aren't I? I'm going to say Osaka. And I will go Osaka too. And then we oh, are going to... so boring. Why do people listen to us? 
Don't say that. We can't end like that. It's a negative to end. But we'll be back next week when we're in the meaty yes. part of the tournament and we'll have a look at, at everything that's gone on and see if the people we've picked are still going strong. Yes. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.